This week's episode of the UXR podcast is once again brought to you by Lookback. There's a bunch of different ways you can use Lookback to fit in with your research practice, from live moderated testing, unmoderated testing that people can do from the comfort of their own homes, or even some in-person testing. If you're interested in learning more about their product, go to lookback.io slash demos to check out some recordings of how their product works and how you might be able to use it yourself. Once again, check out lookback.io slash demos for more info. Welcome to another episode of the UXR podcast. And we've got a special one for you this time. Today, we're gonna be talking to Rachel Buck. Rachel has one of the most interesting stories and transitions into research. Like many of us, she came from a discipline or a field that seems relatively unrelated. But one of the really interesting things about her is that she's been with one company from her initial research internship all the way to being head of insights at the company that she works at called Scoop. Scoop is a company that helps employees connect to each other and coworkers connect to each other through carpooling. And they have a really, really interesting product and service uh, that we're going to dig into a little bit in our conversation. Um, Rachel has a lot of interesting things to say about what it means to grow up as a researcher since she's been with the same company for a few years already. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, put us, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, uh, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Alec Levin. I'm the host of the UXR podcast. And today, I am very excited to be joined by Rachel Buck. Uh, Rachel is the head of UX Insights at a company that you may not have heard of yet, but I'm sure you will soon. It's called Scoop. And uh, you probably, when you look at their website, think of them as a carpooling service, but I know that they're a lot more than that, and I'm sure Rachel will tell us all about that. So, uh, Rachel, welcome to the podcast, and we're excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, I think we have to get started like we do with pretty much every guest is we have to talk about how you got started in research. So many of us have such varied stories and I'd love to know what yours is. Yeah. Um, well, so I guess I'll have to go back a little bit, uh, about four years ago, um, I decided to take a leap of faith and to leave a pretty stable job that I had, pretty pretty comfortable job in the retail and service sector um, to pursue. Like I was just, I was looking for greener pastures, something that really um, inspired me and fulfilled me on a deeper level. Um, I think really what I was looking for was to stretch my thinking. I really like, I, I love to learn and like for better or for worse, sometimes that, that means that, I'm throwing myself into the deep end. So I think that's kind of what I did then is I just like left a job. I was like, let me like go explore and see what's going on. Um, but like one thing that I took with me that's still core to who I am from, from that job and from that time in the retail and service sector um, is a really like strong connection to an affinity for service design. Um, I really love the nature of service design and how it uh, kind of, it's, all, it's about thinking big. It's about trying to understand that everything you do has broader impact and also sits kind of within a broader context and trying to kind of like weave those pieces together. So I think really that's served in my ultimate, like it served me well in my transition into UX and into UX research uh, really well. Um, so like as like a step-by-step, -step, really how this took place is I, I went to general assembly after taking a few months off for like self-exploration and reflection. Um, 
I wanted to see if there was something to this UX design thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I had like in my time off, I had spent time connecting with folks in my community and there was just so much that was like pointing me in this direction. I think a lot of folks who I really respected and had like deep relationships with were recommending that I that I explore this area. So like for me, it was a it was the right decision because it meant that I could commit to something for 10 weeks rather than fully commit to something like a grad program, which fast forward a few years later, <laughs> that is what I'm doing. I am in grad school concurrently with, with working full time, but you know, maybe we can get to that later. Um, but yeah, so I mean, long story short, it's, it's a 10 week program. I, uh, it, as you may or may not be familiar with kind of the way that boot camps work or, or general assemblies in particular, it's, it's not, it's definitely not an intensive or what you would consider like, uh, like true rigorous research practice or education. Um, but I, what I found through those 10 weeks is that like the research component is what I really naturally gravitated towards. Um, and like for every project that we took on, like that was what I was volunteering my time for. I think like, if you think about like, do you know the, um, that like design process, uh, squiggle where it's like the big, like chaotic mess. And then it kind of like yeah, goes out into like a for sure. line. So like for me, I feel like that's so much of like, yes, it's design process, but I feel like so much of research is like just like embracing the, squiggle. the mess, the squiggle, <laughs> like just like that like cluster and like trying to figure out it makes sense, right? And um, so that is, I, I felt like I was comfortable there, whereas some of my classmates, like they didn't love that. They were like, oh my gosh, like there's just so much information. Like how do I like process all this. And I was like, I got you. Like, I'm going to do this. And you love just and swimming so, in that. I loved swimming in it. Um, so yeah, so I kind of naturally gravitated towards that and realized that like research is its own uh, discipline. It's its own job out there in the world. And so I just kind of doubled down and invested. And, you know, like I mentioned, took on projects uh, within General Assembly uh, that, that pertain to research and kind of was the research lead. But I also took a lot of time outside of the program to just like self teach and like absorb everything I could about what research was in industry. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, and, and so when I was done with the program, like, you know, again, this was only four years ago, uh, but there were far fewer research opportunities goals and opportunities. So like that was a challenge for sure, because uh, folks in my program and the advisors there were like, listen, there's not a lot of jobs. It'll be really hard. Like they, they, they knew that, you know, coming out of this, like I was hoping to have a, a positive outcome and, and find a job, secure a job. Um, and so they were recommending that I really just pursue like UX design generalist type roles. Um, and so I tried to heed that, but also at the same time, I was like, my eye was really on research. And so I was like trying to find opportunities. And um, I ended up finding this opportunity at Scoop as a research intern. Well, let's again, dig into they're, that. They're, I mean, so, so yeah. before, before you mention this, this is yeah. a, a very, yeah. you have a very, I don't know if I've ever seen this of, of all the folks in research I've talked to where, uh, where this path where you started as an intern at Scoop uh, yeah. and you have moved your way all the way up to basically running the function head of UX insights. So it'd be really interesting to sort of dig into what that experience was like. And maybe we can start with how did you convince, I guess, Scoop to either create a position for you or that you were the right person to, to fill that position? Um, 
you know, because I think a lot of folks, they struggle with like, what's that first step into getting that initial research role? I think that's where there's a ton of interest in making that transition into research, but there's uh, where people most get stuck, I feel, is, is that first opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. A big part of it was having someone who at the time at Scoop, who, who was our head of UX, who really believed in research. Like she was like pretty research oriented um, and being at the stage that Scoop was at, like, it, we're still building a new category, but like back then, like our carpooling app had just launched. Like we were really, like, we were up against a lot and trying to really start chipping away at like the behavioral change that's required to even mm. make carpooling work. And so like, there's a lot of like understanding of people and their behaviors and, and how the commute isn't working for them today that is so necessary to make sure that we're building the right thing. So I think there was a belief in that um, from our head of UX at the time. And so like, it's about like finding like the right doses of like how to bring that in. And so what she was able to ask for was an intern position, mm. not a full-time position, but like, let's like put our feelers out there, dip our toes in. And so I was connected with her and like, we definitely, we hit it off. And I think like our, our passions were definitely in the, in the same place. And for me, like, it was a no brainer. I was like, I will 100% take an internship over a full-time job. Like I was pursuing other full-time jobs and UX design. Um, but I was like, this is like where I want to be. Like, I'm going to take this risk. And so at the time scoop was 25 ish people. So it was still a really small team. And I think it obviously speaks volumes to like the level of investment and like openness to seeing what research has to offer to bring someone on who's dedicated to that at such an early stage. That's pretty stage. early for most research roles. Really early. So I think there was this kind of like implicit buy-in, but that doesn't mean that it was like perfectly smooth sailing at the same time. Like I think I really had to like do the work and like really understand my partners and do a lot of like relationship building. I speak about this a little bit in the, uh, the blog post, mm -hmm. but I think like so much of we, of what we do and like how we can provide value and impact is in building relationships and understanding what people need and how to bring insights to the table based on what they need at that time and their level of openness. Right. And kind of like chip away. Totally. Um, so yeah, that was so much of what I, what I, what I did and how I think over time demonstrated enough value for them to be like, absolutely. Like when we get our next round of funding, we're hiring this person on full time. And then, you know, you go from there. So, so let's unpack a few things there and, and tell me if I'm understanding yeah. this correctly. So because Scoop is uh, a company that requires such strong behavior change, it, it was a really good place where researchers could provide a disproportionate amount of value, even at an early stage. Right. And so that helped to create that position. So if somebody's looking for, you know, the first research opportunities, companies that are betting big on behavior change might be a good place to start your look or to see if you can make a case for a role for them. And being willing yeah, to obviously from, from your point of view, you're able you're willing to take the risk in a company that was gonna you it seems it sounds like you felt like you knew that they needed research a lot. <laughs> so to take a risk yeah. on an internship role wasn't a bad bet, let's say. Definitely not. I mean, I don't think so. And I think like, if I, like, I, I, maybe you're asking this, maybe you're not, but like, if I were to like offer advice to people who are trying to like make their way into their first role, like I, I think be persistent. Like I know times might be hard right now with COVID and, and like the, the job market in general, but I think that 
we've made such like as a discipline, as UX researchers, we made so much progress in the last few years. Like the amount of roles that I see posted and the types of companies that are really embracing this, like even, you know, like, like banking and like, you know, people are like getting on board and trying to find ways to incorporate insights into strategy and into design. And I think that, uh, if it's something that you really believe in, like don't compromise, like just like continue to push for that. And I think that like, definitely it's, it's a, a good heuristic is to look at like how early stage, uh, our company is trying to invest in research. So like for me, the fact that this company, uh, was so young and so small and interested, like meant that there was that buy-in that I, that I thought that this could really go somewhere and that we could like really make research, uh, as impactful as possible to the business. It makes a lot of sense. So over time, your role changes. Obviously, from an internship role, they, they get the funding they need. They can see that you're having a big impact. They bring you on full time. Okay, that's a pretty straightforward transition there, I suppose. It's probably you doing a lot of the same work, but now in a more formalized role within the company. Yeah. Over time, your role changes quite a bit to the point where now you're basically taking on what I presume is a strategic and leadership role within the company to basically determine what are the things that we need to learn um, in order for the product to grow, for the company to grow, and what sort of techniques and strategies we can use to acquire that information. Can you talk a bit about that transition from, you know, obviously an intern or a full-time hire where you've got more of an individual contributor sort of role and uh, because you've been able to stay with the same company, you know, you've kind of kind of controlled for some variables there in terms of culture and in terms of the people you work with. It's the same the whole way through. So what, what has changed over the last few years as you've pr- uh, progressed through these different roles within the company? Yeah. So interestingly enough, so I think like the two main things that have changed are actually partners. So like, it's funny you say that like, yes, there, there's definitely some consistency in terms of some of the, the folks that were there early on that, that are also still at Scoop that I continue to partner with. But I would say that like the, the spread and like volume of partners and uh, net new partners uh, has grown um, over the years for sure. And so like, yes, that, that like, goes hand in hand with uh, just growing as a company, right? Like from 25 to where we're 160 people now. Um, So like you're exposed to different roles and different people like who have different expectations of what UXR can be or, you know, how they've experienced it in the past. Um, So it's been really fun to kind of like, again, like relationship forging, like I'm one, that's like, I'm 100% all about that. And it's like, so (laughs) finding, finding new synergies, a new way, like creative ways to advance, uh, the practice of UX research, or as we call it at Scoop, UX insights, and by really trying to understand as new folks come on um, in different capacities. So like more recently, we've really expanded to uh, bring our skill set to partnerships with teams like revenue-based teams, Mm. which might look like sales and customer success and finance, to like our support team, um, which we call Scoop Care, uh, to growth teams that are like marketplace or um, user acquisition, right. to like operations and even like partnering with our CEO more often. So there's a lot more like kind of like business strategy that's being incorporated into what we do that that has come in terms of like the partnership change right. that's happened over time. So yeah. if I understand correctly, the 
one of the seems like the fundamental transitions as you've sort of grown into these more and more senior roles is focusing much, much more on who you're working with in the company and increasing the number of people you can work with in the company because you understand the value that research can bring to all these different disciplines. Um, Right. And then figuring out how you're going to actually build that human to human connection (laughs) on an individual by individual basis. Yeah, exactly that. Like I just really try to like now that I spend less time kind of like in the trenches, like you said, like as an individual contributor, like granted, like I do like to take on a project from time to time as needed (laughs) because like I'm really passionate about it and I like to kind of like keep, keep the practice alive, if you will. And like those juices flowing in, in my brain, um, But yeah, like, so I really like, I like to keep outside of that, like an ear to the ground and like really try to like understand what problems do some of these different teams, like, do they feel like they're facing? What are they trying to achieve in short term and long term? And like, really have conversations about that so that I just have exposure and understanding of where they're at. Because what I talk about with my team is it's always like, it's always about meeting people where they're at to find the right way to bring insights to uh, their goals, especially uh, their goals that are centered or that, that touch our users in any capacity. And so many different teams, whether you think it or not, like directly or indirectly touch our users. So I think there's, there's value that we can bring kind of across organizations. So I really try to understand what people are trying to achieve so that we can find the right places. It's interesting. Is, to, is that something that you... Uh, are looking for is like a fundamental skill set or approach in everybody that you try, anybody that you try and hire onto your team. Um, and is there a way that you try and evaluate for that? Um, you know, is are there are there things that the folks on your team that are really good at this are doing that are that's different from maybe some other researchers in terms of meeting people where they're at and trying to connect with them at that place rather than saying, this is how research is done and I want you to come meet me here. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I think luckily enough, as as far as kind of some of the more consistent uh, qualities or characteristics that researchers have, I think is like curiosity and asking questions first. So I think as a discipline, like we, like, we're kind of already starting with like a leg up in that capacity, like to really try to understand and meet people for that. But then to your point, like, yes, it's also important then to be able to kind of follow through on that and not immediately rush to the punch on saying like, you need this, like, we're going to help you. But it's really trying to like understand like how much openness is there? Like how, like what is like their experience in the past? And so I think um, like, in our hiring efforts in the past, like we've really, really emphasized like that curiosity and collaboration. Like collaboration is so big for us. So like after you ask questions, like how are you trying to make recommendations but not in a heavy-handed way and like assess uh, how is this landing? How can we move forward together? Mm-hmm. Like I think that is like key to success. Not, I mean not only as researchers, but I think just to be like a great partner to work with in a company in general, regardless of your role, I think collaboration is huge, but it's definitely been impactful for us as, as a research team to have that as like a strong muscle. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned too, like, you know, you listen, you ask the questions, you uh, propose a sort of solution or a way forward to the people you're working with. But it's interesting. You mentioned the, another step, which is 
you know, evaluate how well that landed with them. <laughs> and if it yes. didn't land well, what are you going to do about it, right? Because in the vein of meeting them there, you know, if you're not looking at how the recommendations you're making or the plan forward is, is connecting and gelling with them as a person, how are you going to be able to build that partnership up? Yes. It's so funny. So I have an example. Um, about a year ago, like as we were kind of like just starting to enter into this like hyper growth phase, we were like, okay, like we're hiring all these different people. There's going to be like different types of partners and like relationships that we're going to have to build. How do we like create a resource and a guide to educate folks on what UX research is, what the UX insights department is at Scoop and how they can partner with us? So we spent a lot of time and energy building out this kind of um, little wiki on different methods and like how they like what they can serve, like what business goals they can serve and like how people could partner with us. Um, but then I realized like that was like exactly the opposite of like what our goal <laughs> is around like collaboration right. is like, this would just be like hitting people over the head with like, this is how you partner with us. But not, it wasn't like bi-directional. It wasn't like a conversation. Right. And so what we really took a step back, like we just paused on that. We we're like, okay, great. Like we have this for the future, but let's like first like do what researchers do and just like start to build these partnerships and learn through, through a uh, practice and then use that to then iterate on this foundation that we've built so that we are in effect creating more of like a, a shared resource and a resource that like the entire company can get behind and believes from the get-go on how to use research and how to partner with us because they've had some experience doing that. Right. So start first with the people and relationship building and the documentation can come later, right? Once, yes, once like, they're with you. It's so funny. Yeah, it probably feels so obvious, right? Like it's just like we wouldn't design... Uh, an entirely new feature without first doing probably a little bit of research, right? So it's like, of course, like for internal processes, like that is so real as well. And so, you know, I think it's sometimes you just have to kind of go through the motions and then like you realize you're like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, let's take a step back. I mean, and it's it's funny. So one thing that's been, we've done a few of these interviews now and uh, one interesting trend that that I'm sort of noticing uh, uh, as a as an interviewer here is, a lot of the places where um, research leaders are really innovating and doing really interesting stuff tends to be special to the type of company that they're working in. So, for example, mm. with MailChimp, when I was uh, interviewing Patty Carlson, the director of UX research there, um, they're, they're uh, talk about themselves as really a marketing company for small business. And where they've done a lot of incredible work is along the lines of finding ways to share insights, right? Because they say, you know, as a research team, we have to be great marketers to the rest of our internal team. And we have to get really clever at sharing. So they've done a lot of really interesting stuff there. And I think yeah. carrying this over to this conversation is interesting because uh, Scoop is not just a carpool company. Um, this sort of social aspect of it is core to... Uh, to what you're doing and the offering. And that's interesting that a lot of the stuff that it seems like you've done a lot of really interesting work on is a lot around partnerships and socialization and building relationships inside the company. Maybe you can talk a bit about sort of like, the, there's the superficial like glance at your website version of Scoop, which is it's carpooling. Uh, and then there's sort of the deeper aspect of it, which is it's a lot more than that. Maybe you can sort of dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I would love to. Um... Yeah. So, I mean, like, honestly, Scoop is about so much, to your point. It's not just carpooling. I think it, like, stands for so much more than that. Um, I think 
the reason why I've stayed for three and a half years is because I think that there's so much value that we bring to the world and what we're doing. Um, like from a business perspective, I guess, uh, to kind of paint a picture, like Scoop is about helping people to make the commute a more meaningful part of their day. Like so many people are just going through hours and hours and hours, like spending weeks of uh, their lives on an annual basis, just doing this like trudging, right? (laughs) And, um, And so like we're trying to find a way to make that better we, we do that by partnering with companies um, who kind of believe in this mission as well and like want to enable their employees to find like a better way and make this time more productive um, and more, more meaningful, like I was saying. Um, but yeah, but I mean, generally like Scoop is about fostering social connection mm-hmm. um, in a world where we're increasingly like disconnected and divided, especially relative to some of the technologies that come out, right? Like, I think that um, social media, like, sh- like it sure it connects us in a lot of ways, but I think there's a lot of um, impact in terms of like this transition from like we're, we're social creatures as humans, and I think like there's as we can all feel right now in the in the light of COVID, <laughs> yeah. like sure, like we can connect with people on video chat, and like that's silver lining and that's wonderful, but like we crave being in person with each other and having that like real like connection. And so I think what's so cool about what we do is like we, that is like the crux of what Scoop is doing is we are bringing people together. Um, And it's been so wonderful to see kind of this like organic community be built. I I did a really cool diary study uh, a few years back where like you we followed uh, the journey of um, how people like interacted with and their experience using Scoop uh, for a period of time. And one of the really cool things to see, and we did this both with new users and with experienced users, like with new users, like people were building like friendship, like it was like day three. They're like, wow, like I'm carpooling with the same person today. Like they're now a friend. Like we went and like, we went to happy hour after work together and like, (laughs) And it's just so cool to see that happen and like to hear stories about people who were really worried about like their first day at work, but then like learned about in onboarding that they could use Scoop and like immediately felt like they had a community in as like one person who's joining a like a big company of like thousands of people. Right. And you're just like, I'm going to get lost in these sea of people, but you already like you have built in community now, like from day Mm -hmm. one. I think that's so cool. So it's a carpooling um, company, but it's also a friendship and partnership company. Yeah. And like mentorship and just like fostering a stronger connection to your work because like you carpool with someone, like you're uh, an analyst, but you carpool with someone who's on a community team or like in a like totally different sphere than what you might interact with on a daily basis. So you get insight and like more of a sense of belonging uh, and like orientation to maybe your company's mission. And I think that's just so cool. And then, you know, obviously in addition, there's like taking cars off the road. So like in the environmental impact there, there's the fact that in places, in markets where we operate, where there are carpool lanes, which I think there should be more of in in the world, (laughs) um, it gives people like time back, which I think is so precious. Like what a, what a valuable resource to be able to give people, um, in, in carpooling. Makes a lot of sense. So maybe it's a good chance to, for us to switch gears a bit into, a really interesting article uh, that you wrote. And I, this is how I sort of came to learn about Scoop and uh, connect with yourself. Um, yeah. You talk about sort of the three pillars of 
the UX Insights team at Scoop. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd love to know a little bit about, obviously, you know, what they are, share what they are, but why sure. <laughs> those are the three sort of areas of focus when you think about the foundation of your practice. Why those three um, rather than any number of other ones that you could focus on? Yeah, definitely. Um I'm wondering if it might help to kind of give like a little bit of background around like the origin or like yeah, why I even decided to do this. And I think that kind of helps to like paint the picture of like why these three. Um, so this past summer, I was like trying to get ahead of things and think about like what we want to try to achieve in 2020 as a team, what we wanted to accomplish. So I was kind of in this like vision mode and um with that comes, you know, like a healthy dose of like reflection. And so I was like thinking about like what we had accomplished and what we had built over time. And what really stood out to me is that like what we had built felt different and that like built out a robust research practice uh, fueled by really sharp, passionate, driven researchers. But like really the operative word here, I guess, is like robust in that we were three researchers in total uh, in a company of 150 at the time. And like what that like netted out to what it equated to was like about a one-to-one ratio of researcher to product designer, uh, something kind of similar to that of researcher to product manager. So like one to one and three quarters maybe. And I think like, I don't know about your experience, but like based on my observation and my experience, I've actually found that that is pretty atypical. Um, Yes, I would say so. Yeah. And so like, I know researchers, right, who are just one researcher at a company of 400 or maybe even more. And so like I was reflecting on that and I, what I wanted to do was really codify what we stand for as a team and what we serve to like accomplish at the company level and how that's not just about product. Um, and hopefully in, in codifying this and writing it and sharing it more broadly, like I was hoping to also kind of inspire uh, other researchers and other teams to, to get a taste for how our skill set and how what research can contribute to a company doesn't have to be so siloed or so like narrowed in on, on just product. Um, so I was thinking about, you know, what are, what are the things that we've done over time? Like how, like, if we could break out into themes, like where we've impacted, um, it was these three pillars. So like, of course there's like product. So one of the pillars has to be product. It's product insights. Um, and that's like really focused on the more like immediately actionable, like user centered insights that, uh, serve product development. It's, it's what, it's the bread and butter of what UX research often does. I think it's probably what most of the listeners here will be very familiar with. Um, but my point of view, and I did write this in the article, is that I think that that often comes at the cost of pigeonholing the, the overall value right. that, research, that research can deliver to organizations is we're just so focused on uh, product and on design and oftentimes uh, evaluative methods, right? right? Like it's just like, we've already built a thing, tell us it's working. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's like that. Sometimes it's tell us it's working. Right. Don't give us like a, you know, an objective perspective. <laughs> so um I think I just really wanted to paint a picture on that and like how there can be more. So, um, so what's more, uh, are the other two insights pillars, which are strategic insights. So kind of like zooming out just from like the product insights pillar, but to like strategy. And so the way that I tried to kind of crystallize this is thinking about, uh, futures or how things 
could or should be. It's really exploratory. Um, like you're thinking beyond kind of like an, an immediate evaluative need to uh, trying to understand and like look at the big picture, not the future and connecting dots between business needs, product and like broader experience opportunities. Um, it, I think that like generally this, this is also where you might kind of see uh, from like a research practice perspective methods that kind of start to like bleed into market research, like that starts to be leveraged here and like the strategic insights pillar. Mm-hmm. I mean that, if, if I can interrupt for a second, that sounds, yeah. that area of focus sounds like something that you can only do when you've built really strong partnerships, not just with the marketing team, but with the entire company, because how else will you have the relevant context to, uh, offer meaningful and helpful strategic advice for strategic research projects if you don't understand what's going on in every single one of the other departments. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in one of the places where we put this into practice, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, we've we've done work with the revenue team and like with our CEO. And uh, again, back to this idea of like real, meeting people where they're at and understanding what their needs are and finding opportunities from there. Like that's your foundation. That's your starting point. Um, we, uh, earlier in the year, maybe it was towards the end of 2019, actually, uh, we did a revenue roadshow where it was like literally just about internal stakeholder, like interviews around goals, around what they're trying to accomplish and trying to find opportunities, um, to meet them where they're at and to, to, uh, serve ourselves up as, as a resource to, mm-hmm they're achieving those goals. Um, But interestingly enough, and this will kind of bleed a little bit into the service insights pillar, but it, um, these interviews revealed a lot of like organizational collaborative opportunities where there were some disconnects and some work being done in, uh, in vacuums or in silos, Mm -hmm. if you will. And so um, that was like one of the major values I think that, that we brought at that point in time was just like really revealing some of the the deltas and gaps in collaboration uh, across different departments and like highlighting how we could improve that to improve kind of like longer term uh, outcomes in strategy. Um, but yeah, so the service insights pillar um, transitioning to that is it's about service design. Like, like I, like I mentioned earlier, like that's something that I think I, I'm really passionate about and those like connecting of the dots and bigger picture, um, opportunities, but it's, it's really focused for us at scoop on like the internal processes that, um, impact the end user experience ultimately. Um, and that might be indirect. Sometimes it might be direct. Like when we partner with uh, a team, like our support team, uh, that can be kind of direct, but it also, there can be kind of like broader contextual ways that that improves experience, um, that, that aren't so direct. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really about like, kind of like creating like feed forward loops, um, so that we can kind of like move back and forth between making external improvements uh, and internal improvements that are kind of like in this nice like symbiotic relationship. That's that's a really interesting um, point. It's so it's so uh, easy to focus on research that obviously affects the customer. So obviously your your product affects the customer, and the 
you know, the material, the communications that you put out through marketing and other channels uh, obviously affect the customer. But there's obvious, in essence, every, every piece of work that's done at a company at some point affects the company, whether it's like you said, the revenue team, you know, how are we going to price this product? How will that feel, you know, with, with different strategies, we can have some kind of pay, pay as you use it. There's subscription models, all these affect how, uh, provide different context for the user in terms of how they, ex- what kind of value they should expect to get out of it. Um, yes. different comparisons, right? If it's a pay per use, then they're going to look at Uber in terms of a cost uh, uh, benefit analysis maybe, or, or as a comparison, or maybe if it's a subscription service, they might be looking at other subscription services they use. So in essence, what yeah. you, the point that you're, you're making here is that everything that you do affects the customer. So if you're not just focusing on, if you're, if you're focusing just on the things that are obvious, i.e. the product, then you're missing out on tons of other opportunities to deliver better value to your users. Yes, exactly. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe this is a, an opportunity. I feel like because, because of the company and the space that you work in, um, this is a really neat uh, place maybe to offer some final advice to researchers that I think are, maybe they're already in their res- uh, a research role, maybe they're first or second um, and they're trying to find the next way to level up, maybe to become a lead, maybe to become a manager of sorts. Uh, and a lot of folks feel stuck in their role right now because, you know, companies mm. don't hire frequently for these kinds of leadership roles and research. Do you have any advice for folks who are in that position right now? They don't see an explicit path to promotion or forward in terms of how they can set themselves up for perhaps the company making that role for them or for persuading a new potential employer that they really need to invest more in, in this, in the strategic aspect and hence, you know, the role they're hiring for maybe should be a more senior one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there are a couple of ways to go about it and it depends on where, um, where you're comfortable. So I think like oftentimes, and and this might be a little biased by my experience. I mean, it certainly is, but like, I think oftentimes you might find a little more red tape, uh, around moving, like turning an entire ship around that is a large established organization and trying to convince hundreds or thousands of people that research is valuable kind of late stage. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're in that position where you're at a larger company and you're feeling like research isn't valued in the way it should be, that you've been trying to meet people where they're at again. So like I continue to find that to be like so important um, and like developing those relationships and finding like, you know, small opportunities to start making like incremental progress. If you're finding like yourself stalled out despite that, I think it is an opportunity to reflect and think if you are interested in taking a bet on yourself and leaping into maybe a smaller company that is hiring a first-time researcher. Um, that means that like you're immediately put in the position where you're having to find like the strategic opportunities to connect your work to business objectives and goals and finding those that value. Um, and then hopefully, as you demonstrate that value over time, there's an ability to make that case to, to hire more and to grow the team, right? And I think if you start out early, um, you, you kind of like can work to bake it into the culture. Um, so I think that's one way. 
I think another way and something that I've tried to do over time is um, I think whether you're one in 400 or you're like us and three out of 150, there's always going to be more uh, to do and more things that you possibly can do with the amount of people that you have. So I think one of the things to do is to keep track of where you're not able to invest uh, because of time, because of resourcing, you know, you don't have bandwidth and um, share that, like share that with leadership. I, I've certainly done that and um, kind of tried to present the case of like, this is the cost of some of the, and, and I don't necessarily mean financial costs always, but like these are the opportunity areas that we are not investing in. We're not being strategic about because we don't have enough resources and I think we should hire. Mm. Um, so I think like that's another another angle that you can approach it from as well. That's great advice. Um, so uh, everyone should check out your, your blog post. Uh, it's on the Scoop blog. Um, so uh, definitely give that a read. I want to uh, give a big thank you to Rachel for joining us today. It was great to connect. Um, and uh, looking forward to the next updates to the Scoop research practice uh, and, and hearing more about that. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Alec. This was so fun. I hope folks find it valuable. Great. I'll see you next time. Yeah, see you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the UXR podcast. If you have some feedback for us, if you have some topics you'd like us to cover, some people you'd like us to interview, if you just want to tell us what we could be doing better, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, shoot us an email to hello at uxrcollective.com uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We love hearing from the community. We love sort of capturing new ideas. Uh, always looking for ways to improve, just as any researcher would be. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. So uh, shoot us an email at hello at uxrcollective.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you.